0: All right, so last Sunday, uh, I talked, we, we walked through chapter five, and uh, there I, I was I was trying to explain um, Paul's purpose in writing this letter. So 2 Corinthians is a letter. We call them books of the Bible, but really most of the New Testament were were letters, personal letters written from uh, apostles, many of them from Paul, some from John, some from Peter, and, and so on. Um, But they would write these letters to churches, to to individual churches and people in those churches to help address some of the things that that church needs to address. And what we're seeing in 2 Corinthians is that this is a very different kind of letter when we we look at Paul's letters as a whole. Most of them are about explaining some biblical truth or or gospel truth uh, to the people and their situation. Um, but here Paul's not doing so much of the explaining as he is doing some persuading. See, what, he, what he's trying to accomplish here is he's trying to help the Corinthians not leave Jesus. And that was really where they were at. They were, they were on the edge of leaving him, uh, of abandoning the faith, of uh, maybe not entirely, right, but, but forsaking the, the truth of the gospel for something else. And the, there, the reason that this was happening, actually, just so we understand the context, and he, Paul kind of mentions this back in chapter 2, um, that there were these people who had come into the church, and, and they had evidently created a, a stir, and they had evidently tried to persuade the Corinthians away from, from the true gospel. And uh, Paul calls them, in chapter 2, peddlers of God's word. And, uh, and so Paul's addressing that issue and he's going to continue to do that here in chapter six. And I think chapter six is actually the, the epicenter of Paul's entire argument for this letter. I think this is really getting down to the, to the core issue that Paul wants them to, to believe and see. And so I'm excited for this. And I think, um, The first verse in this chapter is what's really going to set up the whole discussion for us. So let's look at verse one together. Here it says, "This working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain." So there's a lot there. We could unpack that for a long time, but Paul's saying simply this: that we are that he's working with Jesus. He's he's working together with Jesus to appeal to the the people in Corinth, to try to get to their hearts, to try to persuade them to do something. And here's what he's trying to get them to do, to not receive, he's actually getting them to, he's trying to get them to not do something actually, to not receive the grace of God in vain. All right, so what does that mean? Well, let's unpack a couple words. First of all, what is grace? That's the first word we, we should probably define here. Um, grace is the undeserved gift of God for salvation through Jesus Christ. Like undeserved favor or a gift from God through Jesus Christ, right? And mo- most of you know that. You probably didn't need me to unpack that, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page, right? And so what he's saying here is he does not want them to receive this free undeserved grace of God in vain, all right, so that's the second word we've got to unpack. Is what does it mean to receive this in vain? Well, when you go back to the to the original language and you look at that word, it's it, it's translated vain. I think because that's it is. I mean, it is technically the correct word, and it sounds the best in English uh, when you read it grammatically. But it doesn't make a lot of sense because that word vain can mean a lot of things. But when you go back to that original word, what it really means is meaningless or empty. He's saying that he does not want them to receive God's grace in an empty or meaningless way. So let's just soak in that for a second here. Let's just think about that because he's he's telling them not to do that. So the implication is, is that you can do that, Right? that there's a way in which we could receive what God has given freely in his, in his grace and kindness to us. And we could receive that in a way that's meaningless or empty. I think that's actually terrifying. I, I do, I, and I don't mean that to say, like, to, to freak you out, but I, I think we really need to take this to heart and go, okay, I don't want to do that. I don't want to receive what God has given to me in Jesus in a way that's meaningless or empty. And and here's here's what I think that means when you really get down to it in a practical sense. Um, I think it means that there is a a real possibility that you or I could be church-going, decent, um, pretty much outwardly doing all the right things and still not know and love Jesus. Like that's possible. That we could actually be living lives that look at least to everybody around us as if we love Jesus or are doing the right things. And yet inwardly, there's no change. Inwardly, there's no, there's no actual work being done because we haven't really believed in this grace. We haven't really received it in a way that's not empty. Um, and so I think we have to ask ourselves these, these kind of hard questions to discern this stuff. I think that's what the Bible is calling us to do today. And I think the first question we've got to ask is, are, um, are we just going through the motions of Christianity? Or are we actually loving Jesus and that being the reason why we're doing what we're doing? Are we just going through the motions... And it's really easy to do that because we live culturally where it's, it's pretty much okay to be a Christian. And in fact, it's advantageous in some ways to be a Christian. And I remember having a conversation with a boss of mine um, uh, years and years back. And, and he was telling me that he, he goes to church because it's, it's where he can kind of you know rub shoulders with all the important people in town. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea. Um, at least he's, well, he wasn't coming here, I'll tell you that, right? Um, but, but I was like, oh, so, okay. At least you're honest about that, I suppose. But it was just weird. Um, and so I think there's, there is a sense in which it, at least he was open about that. But, but a lot of us, maybe that's not the exact same reason why we're here, but we have ulterior motives, perhaps. And we, we really aren't here to love Jesus and to grow in grace. We're here because of something else. And of course, you know, all the extra things that we get from being together are, are great, right? They're not bad things, but they're not the center. And that's what Paul is getting us back to. He's getting us back to the center, which is Jesus himself. So so the questions are, are we are we really trusting in Christ? Are we really trusting him or are we just going through some arbitrary religious hoops? And and there is a biblical category for this kind of people, this kind of person. Uh, there's a couple places in the scriptures that talks about them. One of them is Hebrews chapter six. We're not going to look at these in de- depth. I'll just give you the summary. But Hebrews six is one of the hardest chapters in the Bible to interpret, especially for those of us who would, would say you're saved and then you don't lose your salvation. When I believe that. I'm, I'm all in on that. The Bible clearly teaches that. But then you get to Hebrews chapter six and it's like, oh, that kind of seems like it's saying the opposite of that. But when you read Hebrews 6 in context, it actually becomes clear that what the writer of Hebrews is talking about is a person who received all these things from God and, and, and benefited from him, and, and, but really didn't have any true faith. And so when r- the rubber hit the road, they left. They didn't lose their salvation. They never had their salvation. But they looked like they did on the outside. And, and in fact, Jesus talks about these kinds of people. Um, he he talks about people who uh, will stand before him one day and will recite all the wonderful things they did for Jesus. Now, we fed the hungry. We visited the sick. We clothed those who didn't have clothes. We we did all these things in your name, Jesus. We did them in your name. And, and Jesus is going to look at those people, he says, and he's going to go, I don't know you. So... Okay, (laughs) that's scary. So, so right, like that. This is the kind of thing that Paul is going to try to help us understand. Because I'm not telling you all this to freak you out or make you question your salvation or any of that at all. That's not the point. The point is, um, are we willing to diagnose our hearts and discern in our hearts whether we genuinely love Jesus? I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. In fact, we. We ought to, because sin is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. The human heart sways us away from what's true all the time. So we need to wrestle with these questions. And I think one of the real questions that I, I ask I ask myself this, I, I ask people this a lot, is, do we actually believe the good news of Jesus is good news for for me and you? And not just good news hypothetically for other people. Because if we don't believe the good news for us, we're not embracing it. We're not receiving it in a way that's not meaningless. So, as we continue through, that was a long introduction in verse 1, but as we keep going through this text... This is what Paul's going to do. He's going to drill down on this issue. He's calling them to not receive the grace of God in vain. So what he wants them to do instead is to receive the grace of God in a meaningful way, in a life-changing way, in a way that's actually going to radically work in their lives. And he's going to give them four things through this text, through this passage, um, as diagnostic tools to discern whether they've received the grace of God meaningfully. So we'll walk through them, and uh, we're just going to look at, at them one at a time here. We'll look at verse 2. Verse 2, I think, lays out the first diagnostic question or, or tool for us to look at, and then we'll keep rolling from there. So uh, let's, let's just pick it back up in verse 1, and then I'll roll into verse 2, we'll, and we'll stop there. Uh, "'Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain.'" For or because he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All right, so this is a really amazing thing. Um, Paul quotes Old Testament for us quotes the book of Isaiah. Just takes a verse out of Isaiah for us. Um, but, but here's, here's when, you, when you read that, here's really what he's just boiling that down to. If we're gonna receive the grace of God in a meaningful way, we, we must hear his voice and come to him for help. Those are, the two, those are the two things he's saying here. We must hear his voice and come to him for help. Look at verse two again. For he says, now I just want to stop there for a second because that's, that's grammar matters here a little bit. Um, he did not say, for God said, past tense. He said, God says, present tense, right now, right here. He's saying this. So what's amazing is Paul's taking this Old Testament passage and he's going, This is not some old dusty book that that we got to, you know, get out and look at. This is actively good news for you right now. And then he quotes the verse. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the first thing that Paul says is we got to listen to him because he's saying to us, I'm here for you. God is saying to you right here, right now, I am here for you. I'm ready to listen to you. I'm ready to help you. I'm ready to save you. Right now, he's saying that to you. Right now, he is. And and so we got to listen to him, call us to him, and then actually come to him. Come to him for help. And and I know, like, in in a lot of Christian circles, we, we see this and we go, okay, Check, done, I, I, I prayed that prayer. I acknowledge that, it's done. But listen, we, we obviously we're not going back to Jesus every single day to be saved again, but we have to go back to Jesus every single day to, to renew in our hearts what, what he's given to us because we're just so easily swayed away from it. We so easily are uh, just, we have perspectives that change. We need to continually call ourselves back to this hope and this good news. But to receive the grace of God in a meaningless way or a vain way or an empty way happens in this this context when we don't believe that we need his help. So step one is believe you need God's help and then go to him for help. It's not enough to just admit you need it. You got to go to him right? Like it doesn't do any good to just say, yeah, I need help. And then what from there, right? You've got you've to acknowledge your need and go to the source of, of salvation. And so we hear his voice and we come to him. Now, you may have done that, and I hope you have. Maybe you've never done that, and that's step one for you today. But if you've done that, it's not that you have to continually go back to this to, to renew or whatever your salvation, but, but we do need to see the active work of Christ in helping us every day. Because every day we wake up, we're still sinners, we're still struggling, we still need Him, and, and the promises of Scripture that, that we're given here that He will listen to us and He will help us are true today as it was the day we responded to Him for the first time. So we see this, we hear his voice and we come to him for help. That's the first way we receive the grace of God in a meaningful way. All right, let's look at the second one. This is a a bit of a lengthier section, not just one verse. We're going to get through some traction here. Uh, Verse 3 through 10 uh, says this. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by... Great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless uh, uh, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. All right, now there's a lot there. Paul strung in a ton of words in that that sentence. Um, But here's what he's saying. I think this is really just getting down to, to the heart of Paul in this. Um, I, I think what he's trying to convey to the Corinthians and to us is that if we're going to receive the grace of God in a meaningful way, we must value Jesus above everything else on earth. See, we got to understand that Jesus is better than everything else, both good things and bad things. He's better than than. Obviously, we know he's better than terrible things. When Paul starts this list off with a bunch of terrible things that he's gone through, that he himself endured, and then he goes through a whole list of gifts from God that that he's been given to endure those things, and then he goes through this kind of back and forth between bad things and good things, and he just kind of rotates back and forth. Um, but but he's simply telling us that we have we have a, a savior. Who who is worthy of all suffering. He we have a savior who's worthy of all things, good and bad. Uh, but but I think this is one thing that Paul's really getting at. I love it. That he's he's saying our world can and may and probably will fall apart at some point in time. But we don't have to. Like our our world, the world around us, I don't mean like the globe we live on. I mean like just our our inner lives our our situations our circumstances things are going to crumble that eventually they will right they they will they'll crumble our health will, will deteriorate um our our um, you know social world may not be what we want it to be uh this that and the other thing right some of you some of you may have heard i don't know if you heard we had we we had a, a an election this week did you hear that did you hear that maybe the outcome isn't what you wanted and I don't know what the outcome will be, to be honest with you. It's still not over yet completely. But, but, but perhaps you're not happy with things right now. Listen, I get that. But Jesus is, is bigger than that. He's higher than that. He's more important than that. We'll be okay. That's what Paul's saying. Look at what Paul says in verse um, verse uh, 4. He says, we commend ourselves as servants of God By way of greater endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. All things that none of us would want to go through. Paul went through all of them. He's listing things that he endured, and yet he's saying here in this you know what? We're okay. We're okay in Jesus. We have Christ. And so we don't need to fear. And I, and I think that it all it all really does boil down to acknowledging and knowing and being convicted that we have a sovereign God in the world. God is in control. God is always in control. God's in control of your personal lives and the struggles you may have. He's he's working in those things. He's also sovereign over the the mechanisms of the world and the governments around us. We we know that God is sovereign. The word tells us this. In fact, I'll I'll read you one quick little verse from the book of Daniel. Daniel was brought into exile, meaning that this this, uh, nation called Babylon came into Israel and overtook them militarily and, and hauled a bunch of people into slavery. Daniel was one of them. The people that they felt were worthwhile, they made slaves. The people that were worthless, they killed. So Daniel's entire family has probably been murdered by, by these soldiers. He's been taken into, into uh, slavery and, and made, forced to work for the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so here you have his response Uh, to being able to help Nebuchadnezzar with interpreting a dream. And God gave him wisdom. And then here's here's what Daniel says in his prayer. I think it's super helpful. It says, verse 21, God changes times and seasons and he removes kings and sets up kings. That includes presidents. God is the one who sets up and takes down. Let that sink in for a little bit. You'll be okay. All right, all right. Uh, But we have a sovereign God, and he's he's for us. He's not against us. He's with us. That's where Paul's trying to draw us back to. He's trying to draw us back to no matter what our circumstances are, we need to believe that Jesus and only Jesus is our satisfaction and our security. All right, let's look at uh, number three. Verse 11 through 18 He says we have spoken freely to you Corinthians our heart is wide open you are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections in return i speak to uh, speak as to children widen your hearts also do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. All right, so there's a lot here, um, but I, I want to just give us kind of, I think, what Paul's driving at. Um, he's, he's driving at this idea of receiving the grace of God in a meaningful way, So he's already said that we need to come to him for help. We need to uh, value Jesus above everything else. And here, thirdly, we're seeing that to receive the grace of God in a meaningful way, we need to open our hearts to the good news of grace. Open our hearts. That's what he says in verse uh, 13. And then also, in addition to that, we need to stay faithful to Jesus. We need to stay close to him. We need to hitch our wagon to Christ. Um, he, here's where he goes, right? He starts in verse 11 through 13 by just calling on the Corinthians and saying, listen, we love you. Our hearts are open to you. We, we've never wanted to restrict you. You're restricted in loving us, he says. Paul's talking to them. It's very personal, right? He's like, you don't love us because your, your hearts are closed. Your affections are are shut down. And he says, get your heart open to us again. Get your heart open to the grace of God that we're preaching. And then in verse 14, he says something that I think um, we've all heard taught from, a, from an angle that Paul's not going with this. Okay? He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I've always heard that taught. Means if you're dating someone, don't date a non-Christian. If you're married, or or just don't get married to a non-christian. Like that's that's how we've always heard that taught. Can I just say you've been you've been tracking with this. Does that make any sense in what in light of what Paul's talking about here? It it doesn't make any sense that way. That's not his point. It could be it's it is true. Okay, it's wise. It's wise. You can save yourself a whole lot of heartache by not not, you know, getting getting entangled in uh, romantic affairs with people who don't share your faith in christ that's true, but that's not what paul's talking about here that's not what paul's talking about look look at what he's been saying this whole time Remember we got to read things in context. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians back to the gospel and and here's I think where he's really getting down to to uh, The heart of his argument is that the Corinthians had begun to slip towards this group of people who were leading them astray. And so, what Paul does here is actually extremely bold. He calls out these people that had gotten into Corinth and he calls them out as non Christians. And he's saying to them, Don't be yoked with these unbelievers in the church. Don't partner up with these people who are trying to lead you away from Jesus. And then he goes so far as to say uh, in verse 15, what accord, what, what relationship does Christ have with Belial? And Belial was, a, was an Old Testament uh, term that the New Testament people understood to be Satan. And so he's going, what does Christ have to do with Satan? What are these two? They're not partnered up, they're not working together right? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. He's saying, listen, you, you guys are putting your hope and trust in, this, in this, you know, this thing that these people are telling you that just isn't true. They're not Christians. And so think about it this way. Paul's living from a distance here. He's, he's in uh, Ephesus, I think, when he's writing this letter. He's not anywhere near Corinth. In fact, he had to send Timothy, or Titus rather, over to to, um, Corinth to kind of get some news, which we're going to see in a little bit here. Um, But but Paul's not there. And and Paul's watching from a distance and he's just horrified by all all the stuff that's been going on. It would be kind of like, now it's not an exact one-to-one comparison, but think about it this way. Uh, if I was to go out there and get hit by a truck and die, and you had to find a new pastor, okay? And the search committee is set up. They find a guy who then goes to the, to the elders, and the elders are like, okay, cool. And they bring, you, bring that guy in front of you to have you, uh, you know, affirm him. And he, in his first sermon, tells you, I'm not even a Christian. I don't believe any of this. This is all a bunch of garbage, but can I be your pastor? I hope you'd say no right? I hope. I hope you'd say no. I hope it wouldn't even get to that point, right? But, but that's essentially, I mean, not exact, right? But it's, it's, it would be a similar situation. Paul's just watching, horrified that these people that he loves are going to be partnering up in ministry with these people who are literally not even Christians. And he's just going, don't do it. Don't do it. He's saying, stay faithful to Jesus, not being uh, unequally, or not unequally yoked here doesn't mean that, it's not talking specifically about marriage. Oh, there's application, sure. We could make some claim, you know, case there, but that's not the point. It's not about marriage. It's not about business relationships. It's not about, you know, any of that. It's, it's about whether or not we are putting our hope in a, in a message that is unchristian with people who don't even believe the gospel in the church. So we got to stay faithful to Christ. That's that's his point. If we're going to receive the grace of God in in a meaningful way, we have to open our hearts to him and to his word and we have to stay faithful to him. Continue walking towards Jesus. Okay, one more. Last verse. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, what promises? Well, he's talking about the verses he's just quoted. Um, he quoted from a, a couple of places there. He kind of just smashed together verses from Ezekiel and from Leviticus. Um, but he says we have these promises and the promise is that God is gonna be be with us. He's our God. We will be his people. He's gonna be with us through all of this and and he, he will receive us as we respond to his grace, he will receive us as sons and daughters. So, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every, defi- uh, every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, so Paul says here, this is how we receive the grace of God in a meaningful way. We live lives of repentance. He, he's not saying we have to be perfect, right? He, he's saying that we have to cleanse ourselves from every defilement. How do we cleanse ourselves from every defilement? Well, the, the Bible tells us elsewhere in 1 John that that happens as we confess our sins, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Christ does the cleansing as we do the confessing. We confess our sins. We own it. We, we, we acknowledge our wrong. We, we bring it to his, his cross and we say, Lord, cleanse me from these sins. This is what repentance is. It is turning away from sin, turning back to Jesus and, and being faithful to do that whenever our sin creeps up on us and we realize it's there. there are, there's sin in our lives that we don't know is there. Okay, and that's like That's the reality. God's going to show those things to us. He's going to reveal those things to us in time. But the things we know of right now, the things he's clearly shown us, we need to turn away from. And that's why, that's why the Christian life is a progress. It's not an instant, like you've arrived at your destination the second you accept Christ. It's a, it's a journey. It's a process because Christ will show you things that you turn from. He'll then show you more things that you'll turn from and so on and so forth. But this is the, whole, this is the thing, that we live repentant lives, that we acknowledge our sin and turn to Jesus with them. Why? Why? because we have these promises the promises that Christ will welcome us as a father that we will be his sons and daughters that's the that's what motivates us to repentance we're not we don't we wouldn't be motivated to repent if what we're promised is a slap on the hand and a man how could you ever do that you're a terrible person a scolding Christ doesn't give us a scolding when we repent he gives us a a welcome embrace when we repent and he disciplines us so that we get there he'll discipline us like a father will a son or a mother will a child because that's what leads to repentance but as we get to that point of repentance there's no more need to to be disciplined because we've we've gotten there and so then what we what we receive is a welcoming heart from Christ so we live repentant lives if we If we want to receive the grace of God in a meaningful way and not in emptiness, then these are the markers that we need to see in our life. These things that we've just talked about, we need to see them in our lives. And we can't produce them on our own. We need Christ to do it for us. We need Jesus to help us get there. But it all starts with where Paul starts, which is we need to come to him. We come to him and we we keep going back to him again and again. And as we do, he does his work in us. So the good news today, no matter where you're at with all this, is that you can receive the grace of God in a meaningful way today. Whether you've been a believer for five minutes or 50 years, we all need to apply these things to our lives we all need to recenter ourselves, recalibrate to get back to Jesus. And, and as we do that every day and we make it the habit of our lives to recalibrate and come back to Christ and make sure that today we, we love him and are responding to him and coming to him, as we do that, we will see massive differences in our lives. We will see him work. Maybe not at the speed you want him to, but you will see him work. And I hope you'll do that today. I hope you'll respond to his grace today because it's for you today. He's extending it to you right now. We just have to come to him. Call on him and he will listen to us and he will help us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the promises of the word today. We know we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we all need the renewing grace that you offer us in Christ. Would you do that for us today? Would you draw our hearts? And you know every single person in this room, where they are, what they're thinking, how they're, how they're responding or not responding to you. And Lord, we believe you are sovereign and good and can, can sway our hearts and appeal to us and get us back. Would you do that, Lord? Would you help us? Would you get us into a right position with you through Christ? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.